Hello! Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lunarverse. I'm Dr. Charles Liu, your host, but I would prefer it if you would call me Chuck. It is a real pleasure to have you all today. We have two awesome guests that are going to tell us the coolest stuff about bringing the sky into our own worlds. But we're going to start, as always, by introducing our co-host, Alan Liu. Alan, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. Oh, good. Have any interesting culinary experiences recently? Well, I recently baked some uh, oatmeal bread thingies, uh, which have, like raisins in them. So uh, oh. those are currently in existence, and I, ah. I'm going to have more did of them you, later. Did you use steel cut oats or rolled oats? I used rolled oats. Oh, whole wheat, now, like, like whole grains. Yeah, well, oats, not whole oats as opposed to whole wheat, but yeah. Right, right, whole grains. That's good. Yeah, whole grains are, are you know good for health and things like that it tastes very good too <laughs> okay cool <laughs> okay uh, on, on that very cheerful happy note i would love very much to introduce our two wonderful guests uh from connecticut elliot severn hello elliot hello yeah and from massachusetts jenny powers hello jenny hello hi i would love to have each of you tell us a little bit about what you do, what your connection is with astronomy and the universe, and then we'll go on and talk about today's joyfully cool cosmic thing. All right. Um, so I'm the I'm the planetarium director at Sacred Heart University's Discovery Science Center and Planetarium in wow. in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, cool. And I'm also an an adjunct professor of astronomy at um, Sacred Heart University as well. Oh, superb. So in the classroom as well as in the planetarium in the museum. That's spectacular. Marvelous. And Jenny, you too? Well, I am the director of the Springfield Science Museum, which is one of the five museums at Springfield Museums. We have wow. an astronomy hall, a planetarium, an observatory, and a brand new International Space Station exhibit. Whoa. And, and you fun. run them all. Like you're the master of the Springfield Museum universe. Um, well, I am the director of the Science Museum, but I have to give a lot of credit to our curators as well. Oh, that's very generous, C.V. It's very true. Welcome. I'm excited. So two of the leading, uh, could we dare say, like best uh, planetarium science center in all of New England coming to us and telling us all the cool things that we have. I'm really happy to have you and, and psyched to talk about all kinds of great things. And now it's time for the cosmically cool, joyful thing of the day. <laughs> okay, so today's joyfully cool cosmic thing is indeed something really cosmically cool that has come down to Earth. The OSIRIS-REx mission run by NASA has been going around the solar system for like seven years, and it has just dropped off its significant package it came through the Earth's atmosphere at 27,000 miles per hour, and then it perfectly landed with a gentle thud at 10 miles per hour in the Utah desert, containing within it samples of the asteroid Bennu. So now astronomers get a chance to play with bits of the asteroid Bennu as Exciting. we get to figure out how the earliest parts of the solar system evolved and turned into the things that we see today. That's an amazing thing. And I think it's super cool. Uh, 
do you guys have any connections with Osiris Rex or with Bennu or asteroids in, in what you're doing, Elliot, Jenny? We have a fantastic meteorite collection at the museum, but that's as close as we get to an asteroid. Oh, we have dinosaurs also, but um, yeah, that's as close nice. as we get. And um, I have a, a piece of a meteorite right here. No this way. Is- <laughs> For those of you who aren't on the video, it ring. is a ring. It is a wedding ring, Elliot? Yep. Um, and it's made of a gibbon um, a gibbon um, meteorite from Africa. It Ooh. fell back in the 1800s. Um, wow. And a unique thing about this one is it actually flew into space on Blue Origin NS-22. Whoa. And so it went back to where it came from briefly. (laughs) That is amazing. That is so cool that you have that. And and you're like constantly connected subcutaneously or cutaneously uh, to a chunk of the early solar system. I think that's really quite remarkable. Have you been to launches and things like that um, of various missions of all kinds? Um, so I've been to the launches of about 20 space missions. Um, wow. But I was actually at the launch of OSIRIS-REx. Um, it sells. Yep. Which was about <laughs> seven years ago now. Um, and so after being there and getting to see it launch, it was really special to see it actually come home. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I can only imagine how cool it was. Um, the... Do launches get into planetarium shows? Can we actually show them, for example, like in big high def movies and you can like sit there and and enjoy them in the theaters uh, of your respective museums? Um, Well, we've just added a Zeiss um, full dome planetarium system to see more planetarium in addition to the existing optomechanical star ball that's there and with that now we could stream it live right in the planetarium there would be some warp to it uh but we could um our projector will mostly fix that and so we could watch things live that's not something we've done yet but it's something i would love to do in the future Elliot is one of the coolest astronomers that I've ever met. And um, (laughs) getting to see it live is obviously way, 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 way more fun. Yeah, that's even cooler. I I heard from somewhere that um, the Osiris-Rex samples landed three minutes early uh, because the drogue shoot um, to the the shoot that opened before the main parachute either like deployed late or didn't deploy or something. But so it. But the main one slowed it down all the way it needed to. So, I think so it fine. moved faster than it should have for an extra period of time, yeah, thus so causing the scientists no small amount of angst while it was waiting yeah. for the actual thing. Well, that adds a little bit of drama to the situation. It does. I think for the Mars sample return that is currently in development, the plan is that it doesn't need a parachute at all. Like they're hoping it will just like have enough air resistance by the capsule itself to just smack in the desert without a parachute wow that would be super amazing um i think that this is going to be so much fun to see what happens as it comes out uh let's go alan to Mm -hmm. a student question do we have a student question for elliot and jenny yeah sure uh so we have a couple student questions today the first one that i'll ask is from rochelle who is asking why do so why do zodiac signs have the same names as stars. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, either one of you want to take that one? 
Um, sure, I'll go for that one. Okay. Um, so the signs of the zodiac are the are the constellations on the ecliptic, which is the path at our that our sun travels through through the sky as Earth orbits around around the sun. And a zodiac sign is just which of those constellations was the sun in on the day that you were born. Ah. And so that's why these zodiac signs are names of constellations. And I believe there's 13 constellations in the zodiac. 13? Well, yeah, there's, there's there 12. There's Ophiuchus too, right? Yep, there's oh. Ophiuchus as well. Um, oh. In it's just not part of the is a different size, and so it spends longer in some constellations in the shorter span in others. It's not exactly one month per constellation. Um, an interesting thing about constellation names is the Romans used the Latin names for them, and that's what we still use today. Um, stars that are big and bright tend to have Arabic names, and oh. then... Um, as we name dimmer stars in constellations, we sort of order them by brightness. And so Alpha is the brightest star in that constellation. Then it goes Beta and goes through the whole Greek alphabet after that. Wow. So there's a That's lot of a... languages involved there. That's cool. Yeah. It feels like, right, Alan, as you're saying, that it's, it's like all humanity is united under the sky, regardless of the historical origins of our languages or our systems. We all experience the same sky for, you know, all the history of our time. Uh, Jenny, I bet that that comes up a lot in the various halls and exhibits and so forth, and even with International Space Station, right, in Springfield? Absolutely. In fact, right as as you started saying it unites humanity, it's something that really means a lot to me is when you go out and observe the night sky, you're never alone. There's always someone else looking up at that night sky. And if you need to have a moment of connection, you, that's a way that you can find it, even if you don't have someone you can connect to um, personally um, in you know, talk to you at that moment, you are never alone when you're under the night sky. And um, that's something that enriches my life so much. And, you know, there's times we we can share an experience from miles away um, that way as well. Yeah, Elliot and I do see this mostly, I think the same things when we look up, right, Elliot, even though we're, I think we're 90 minutes away from each other. Um, so we do try to help people understand that in the planetarium and in astronomy hall. One way we're trying to do that now is feature more representation from around the world in our planetarium so that people who might have never left Springfield at all can still see something from a different area of the world. We have a Sesame Street show with characters from China who sing in Chinese. And we also have um, a wonderful show about the people of Polynesia reclaiming the ability to use the currents and stars to find their way. So that's um, that's something that really means a lot to me to be able to make astronomy more accessible for everybody and and have it have that impact because that's what creates the sticky memories. Totally. It's so important, right? We, we, as scientists, of course, almost assume that this stuff is accessible to everyone because we love it so much and it's such a part of our daily lives. But people who aren't steeped in it on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis uh, really benefit 
uh, from these kinds of experiences, which we take for granted, don't and we? Making astronomy accessible is one of my top priorities at the museum because I've always said it's one of the easiest scientists to start studying because all you have to do is go out and look up. But yeah. recently I was talking to our panel of people who are have low or no sight at all. So how oh. do you make astronomy accessible for people who can't go outside and look up? That's something we're working on now. Um, we are putting together tactile astronomy exhibits. We're putting some together with sound so that more people can enjoy the same things that we know means so much to us. I love it. Wow. Elliot, where did your connection with astronomy first arise? I mean, you're even an astronomy professor. You're teaching astronomy classes at a university. That's a really good question. And that goes way, way, way back to when I was a little kid. And I was nine. My grandparents got me my first, my first telescope. Um, and I didn't know how to use it. So we went to our astronomy club close by at Booth Park in Stratford. And from there, I learned from the other club members. And immediately after I started looking through a telescope, it excited me so much that I wanted everyone to have that chance. And so I got involved in, I got involved in sidewalk astronomy, bringing telescopes to public places and just letting people look free of charge. And it, it can change your life. So that's sort of how it started. And then I got into photography, studied astronomy a little bit in college, ended up in environmental science. Um, and then out of college, found my way to the museum and found myself back in astronomy. So Oh, fantastic. Well, you know, environmental science is very much astronomy connected, right? We, we hear... Uh, in the universe do not discriminate away from uh, supposedly non-pure astronomy stuff. Astronomy adjacent stuff is part of the universe too, right? And I think that's great. Many people kind of take that path uh, along that line, not just uh, straight up into the universe, but through the environment, through the earth, through the sky, through those kinds of things. And the sidewalk uh, astronomy thing sounds so awesome. They're famous people who have done this and then they've created their own telescopes and, and done this sorts of thing. And even every once in a while, recently you hear in the news story, somebody in some deep metropolitan area, you know, like Brooklyn, New York or something stops traffic for half an hour with the telescope as they're looking at something out in space. That's so cool. You got to do that. Um, uh, did, did you build your own telescopes? Did you create things? I mean, did you talk to like any of these famous folks uh, in the fact that you were famous yourself? <laughs> I did have the privilege of knowing John Dobson, um, inventor oh. of the of the Dobsonian telescope, yes. um, which I think is the best kind of telescope to start out on because there's no electronics. It doesn't even have a tripod. It just sits on, th- on th- the ground like a cannon and you just push it to where you want to aim it and let go, and it balances. Do we have a Dobsonian in, in the background of uh, the shot still? Uh, yeah, there. That? Yeah, that's that thing. <laughs> that little one. That that's guy. a little Dobsonian. Yeah, a little so tiny Dobsonian. Dobsonian. Yeah. Yep, it's there. <laughs> but what's great about it is to use one, you have to learn the sky and where different objects are. Uh-huh. Um, 
And you also only have to pay for the glass in that telescope. There's no electronics. There's nothing that adds to the cost of it. And if you get the optics, you can even build them at home pretty inexpensively. Awesome. So it's a great way to access this amazing hobby. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. Jenny, how about you? Did you also come to astronomy through other things over a long period of time, or did you come straight into it like I did uh, way back in the day? Well, I I had to be in the right place at the right time. So it took me a little while to get there. Um, Ah. Basically, I had to go start working at the museum. And Mm. so I had done a lot of different education jobs. I went into the museum's education department. Eventually Mm -hmm. I became the family engagement coordinator. And I was the person who got to run all the different programs for families at the museum, which was a super fun job. Um, And through that, I got to know someone better, um, Richard Sanderson. He's my astronomy mentor. He was the person who was curator of physical science at the museum at that time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he is so good at sharing his passion for astronomy that I just became extremely interested just from his enthusiasm and got to know our planetarium better. One of the instructors from the planetarium invited me to attend a program we call Stars Over Springfield for the first Mm. time. And as my knowledge of astronomy grew, so did my love of it. And I actually fell in love with planetariums before I fell in love with the subject of astronomy because mm. I just love optomechanical planetarium projectors. I, it's one of the nerdiest <laughs> things about me. I feel like when I say that, only Elliot understands. Um, but it's just such an interesting thing. And Every planetarium that you go to is different and they each have their own unique features and they often have these really interesting stories about them, especially the really old ones. So you get some history, you get some science. It's this wonderful experience. You get to meet um, at the best planetariums, you get to meet the instructors and have awesome conversations. And so given that our planetarium, I think is actually one of the most interesting. Um, mm. I fell in love with that nice. one first. And then I just fell in love and with that, with everything about it. And one day wow. uh, my husband, I was talking to my husband and he said something about me loving astronomy. And I said, Oh, I don't love astronomy. I just love planetariums. And he said, <laughs> Listen to yourself. That <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. It's like, yeah, I, I don't love the sky. I just love the sky. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I love the fake indoor sky. Yeah. <laughs> but now I, I, love it. I got to be boss of the planetarium, which is pretty yeah. cool on top of that. Yeah. So. No, that's great. How do you feel about, either the oldest or the newest technology in seeing the universe or, you know, either in your planetarium domes or elsewhere. You know, Jenny's talking about now technology uh, obviating the need to go to a planetarium, although it's still really fun. No, great. that's not what I uh, said. You still need to oh, go to the planetarium. Well, Chuck, yeah. My I, goodness I, gracious. Let me not cast any aspersions. Everyone go to planetariums. It's like the difference between, between looking at your phone and, and going out, into the sky. I mean, it's really it true. Is. But so that technology has advanced quite a bit, Jenny. What, what you're saying is that uh, you can access this technology uh, even more. You were mentioning an, an opto-electronic star ball projector system. Uh, and, and Elliot, what do you guys have in Connecticut? Yeah, so we until recently had a Spitz 512 optical mechanical um, star projector 
um, which are really cool pieces of engineering. Um, there are these tiny plates with little holes in them for each star and lenses, which bring those in into sharp focus on the dome. And there are all sorts of gears and mechanical devices to make stars and planets move at the correct rates over time. They're really impressive. Um, and our first one was a was a Goto Mark One, um, which is from Japan. And I recently learned that ours in 1958 was the first one ever installed in a any planetarium in the world. Um, but um, Jenny's planetarium has, I, I believe, one of the oldest star projectors in the country, right? It's the oldest American-made planetarium projector actually in the world. Whoa. Wow. There was one American-made planetarium projector before this one, but it's been scrapped long ago. Um, we don't have it. It's not operational. The pieces are scattered. Um, so ours is now the oldest. It was locally made when... During the Depression, the museum couldn't afford a Zeiss that it mm. wanted. So one of the museum technicians, um, Frank Corcus, and his brother, John, built a Starball. So ours is really unique because it's the only one. We have the blueprints. I guess technically we could build a second. But um, the local community came together to build it. It was machined at local machine shops. Different trade wow. schools had parts in building it. So Whoa. it's a real community project in 85 years later, it's still working. That's something we're very excited about. That's wow. awesome. So we um, do have that in the middle of our, under our dome, uh, just like we did originally in 1937. And then this year we added the two digital projectors, the Zeiss Velvet system. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, we are the only planetarium to have its original projector still under the dome with a modern updated projector. Some other museums do have optomechanical projectors in the center of their dome, but they're not their original ones. And so it's still very cool. You probably can tell that we're many of us in Springfield are history lovers as well as astronomy <laughs> nice, lovers. Nice. And this for is a sure. big source of pride for us because it is really, yeah. I mean, when you look at it and you see the design, it's unique, it's different. And it's a really, to us, a great, example of american innovation and ingenuity yeah wonderful stuff elliot uh hopefully you guys down in connecticut have technology at least as impressive of uh at least as impressive as this amalgam of old and new in springfield yeah so um we both upgraded to digital planetariums around the same time um we did our upgrade in 2019 mm-hmm and now we have a digital sky. We have a a 4K laser projection system, Dang. Um, um, running on Tigistar Seven um, from a company called Cosm. And what a digital planetarium enables us to do is not only see our our sky as viewed from Earth, um, but you can turn our planetarium into a starship. And we can huh. fly anywhere in the known universe, and we can fly anywhere in space and time. And Ooh. it almost turns the planetarium. Um, if you've ever used a virtual reality headset, it's, yeah. it's almost like taking that personal experience of VR and expanding it into a whole room with a bunch of people in it. 
And it's almost wow. like a shared virtual reality experience. Oh, that's really um, cool. Wow. That is so neat. It, it can literally take you boldly go where no one has gone before. You can go to other planets. We can go to their moons. We can go to asteroids and comets. We can go to other ah. star systems. We can go to other galaxies. So let me, let me just say that uh, you're saying that you are as good as the Starship Enterprise, in, in a way. We can go faster than the Starship Enterprise. Oh, uh, man. We have an unlimited warp factor in our planetary. <laughs> and what is incredible about it is uh, as new data becomes available, as there are new sky surveys, new space telescopes, new planetary missions, as soon as that data is publicly available, we can show it on our dome instantly. Wow. And so you have, have that ability is incredible. You have new data coming in instantaneously. You have infinite warp factor. Can you do the Kessel run in under 12 parsecs? Uh, hmm? We can do it in a Are you better than Star Wars? <laughs> is Star Trek better than Star Wars? Huh? Huh? Come on. Come I on. I bet Bring you don't up. have Bring a Wookiee as your co-pilot over there. Oh, here we go. Here we go. All we right. <laughs> well, we have a Vulcan. Oh, that's not so bad. Okay. So Jenny, Jenny. I, I can tell by that comment that you are in the Star Wars camp. Elliot, you are clearly in the Star Trek camp. So <laughs> those of you who don't have the video, we just saw the uh, piece of asteroid in a live long and prosper symbol just now. <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. Uh, you each get 30 seconds to explain why Star Trek is better than Star Wars or the other way around. Uh, Elliot, go. Oh, geez. Okay, so Star Trek, I think, is so it's in the future. In a, I, I like to think about the future. It's not in a galaxy long ago, far, far away. Um, it's a very optimistic view of the future where we are trying to spread peace throughout the galaxy, even when other civilizations uh, don't want to be peaceful. Uh, we are attempting to spread peace throughout the galaxy. Um, and they are on a mission of exploration for scientific knowledge and to further our understanding. Star Wars, I love. It's really fun, but it's kind of World War II in space. Um, Dang. Oh, them's fighting words. Okay. <laughs> Jenny, you get the counterpoint. Two words, Darth Vader. That's, ah. it. That's all you need. It's lightsabers. Come on, Elliot. The high speed chases around the Death Star and then stuff blowing up with all that passion and excitement. I love Star Trek. I really do. I watched it every Sunday with my dad. But Star Wars is where the heart is. That's been me all week with COVID. Okay. <laughs> you should lean back a little bit more. <laughs> That's probably just <laughs> in a big way. In a big way. All right. How about the dilithium crystals, huh? Huh? How about the dilithium crystals? Uh, How about this? Dilithium crystals or midi chlorians? Huh? Dilithium crystals. You just gotta make stuff up. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Or the uh, the mycelium one from the new Star Trek that I. Oh, that's right. Still. They, they travel as a network. They, they travel like they're mushrooms or something. My staff. Uh, are either, 
my staff is always telling me that Star Wars is a movie about a cult who's trying to overthrow the government and that Star Trek is real science. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> come on. Come on. No. Star Trek has a lot of things going for it, but being real science is not one of them. No. <laughs> that is so funny. But but how are those new Star Trek series, in your opinion? Uh, Elliot, are, are you watching those? Uh, oh, some of the I, stuff that's coming right now, right now? This is a really exciting time if you're into Trek. Um, no kidding. Because we've got Discovery going on, which I haven't paid attention to since they jumped into the future. Um, okay. We've got Strange New Worlds with Captain Pike, which is just awesome. But wow. I love about that is it's back to the single episode format. There are some longer story arcs, but that's not the main focus. And if you jump into it and watch one episode, it's not critical that you watched every prior episode in the series. You can just oh, watch cool. one episode and take it for what it is. And I oh, love that about it. Um, we've got Lower Decks out, which is the, ah, which is the, the animated, animated comedy series. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious. But what's amazing about it is they're keeping it canon. And oh. in some of the other series now, they're having some of the Lower Decks animated characters actually show up in live action. Oh my gosh. That That's is cool. <laughs> that mind-blowing. I love that idea. Okay, so Jenny, how is Mandalorian going to compete with that, huh? I don't know. You know, I have a son in college who does not always have time to catch up on our shows together. And so, uh, sadly, I haven't watched anything since the end of season two. I know there's really good stuff coming, and I can't wait to see it, but I got to wait till the kid and I can watch it together. Okay. We will reserve nice judgment to the next things. point. That's very nice. Yeah. I, uh, wow. Uh, the time has flown by. Uh, I, we could go on for a huge amount of time. I, I really can tell, but... Uh, Please, will the two of you come back for a future episode sometime? We'll talk more about like old tech, new tech, high tech, fake tech. Uh, it's just, just great stuff. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Uh, how can we find out what you're doing, what your science centers are doing, the kinds of neat things that are happening, any any new cool launches and materials that you guys are going to be putting into your shows or to your dome? Let us know. Uh, Elliot, Jenny, how can we how can we contact you? Well, you can find me all the time at Springfield Museums. So if you go to springfieldmuseums.org, that's our website. But I, that, I am often quoted or featured across our social media channels. Thank goodness. Facebook, <laughs> LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And so you can always catch up on what the Science Museum is doing those, those ways. And you can Follow us, the SHU Discovery Science Center and Planetarium. On most social media platforms, we are very active on Facebook. Um, and if you want to see our website, it's shudiscovery.org. And if you show up to our science center on a weekday or on an event day, you'll probably see me there. So say hi if you come by. That's, That's totally so nice. awesome. Thank you so much, Andy. That's so nice. Yeah, both of you. I think this is great. And and the two of you clearly collaborate together so well. Uh, it's just this sort of planetarium axis of awesomeness running from Springfield down uh, into Connecticut. I, I think that's just marvelous. I think nerds clump. We clump together. <laughs> so Even do galaxies. You're on the other sides oh, of, the, of the star debates. That's right. And and stars and galaxies clump too. Mm -hmm. uh, hmm. Connection, perhaps. Ah, 
anyway. It's sort of a social accretion. There you yeah. go. There you like go. Elliot, Jenny, uh, <laughs> Elliot Severn and Jenny Powers, planetarium directors, museum directors, astronomers, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Alan Liu, thank you so much, as always. Really appreciate it. Uh, go for that awesome culinary cooking experiences, all right? Yeah, Remember, yeah, those yeah. rolled oats, they're, they're really good for you. They're good for your heart. Yeah, well, glad to be here, as, as usual. Yeah, good for your heart. Kind of like beans. Okay, we're, we're not going to go down that. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> the more you eat, just, just wrap the, up the, the better your heart. <laughs> the more you eat, the better your heart is, right? I mean, it's great. Uh, <laughs> and for all the rest of you, Thank you all so much for being part of us today. Uh, if you like what you see in here, please support us on Patreon. And as always, thank you for being a part of the Luniverse. <laughs>